0: Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy showed us the difference between the spiritual gifts of teaching and prophecy. Today we'll continue our study on the spiritual gift of teaching and then the gift of exhortation.
1: Please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I would like to continue reading from verse number 6 to verse number 8 of this chapter. We are going to pick up our text uh, this morning in verse number 7 and uh, verse number 8. But let's read uh, from verse uh, number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or as the Greek says, if ministry, ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, what then is the primary purpose of teaching? Here's what the, prim- the primary purpose of teaching It aims at the mind and it aims at giving you understanding. That's the whole purpose of teaching. Exhortation is different you come to that. Exhortation is to motivate you to do something. To activate you. To galvanize you. Teaching focuses on the mind and the understanding. It helps you to interpret uh, the truth and present the truth to you. Uh, so that you can grasp the truth when you listen to the truth. That's what teaching is all about. It's the ability to systematically and regularly instruct people in the word. It has the capacity to read the, read the scripture, understand, and assimilate that truth. And present that truth in a way that people can grasp it and people can understand it. But the main focus of teaching is the mind. It's not to get you to do something. It's to get you to understand something. And by the way, there are people who are good teachers who are bad preachers. Because they have the capacity. To By the time they're finished thing they've taught you. You understand but they haven't moved you even to lift a spoon. There's no fire there. There's no, there's no excitement there. There's no There's no to galvanize you. to. There's no electricity there to make you want to do what they say. You go away saying, ah, I understand that too. You don't go away saying, I want to practice that too. I'm motivated. That's the difference between the teacher and the preacher, by the way. They both do the same thing of teaching, but they have the, has the aspect of Exhortation, motivation of the, of the individual. So I would say to you that the key element uh, to this gift has to do with the matter of uh, helping you to understand uh, what, 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 it, what is there. By the way, um, not everyone who claims to be a teacher is a teacher. I have known people who were scholars who written books, but couldn't teach what they wrote. I will never forget an incident happened here in Antigua. And this has to do when Brother King was the pastor of um, Gallian Is it Galleon? All Saints, sorry. All Saints Baptist Church. And a guy came from Guyana. Uh, he was an Indian. I don't remember his name. But he wrote a book. And the book he wrote, you remember they had this big tsunami somewhere in the, uh, over there in the east somewhere. And it's wiped out a lot of people. So he decided that he's going to look in the Bible to find where the tsunami was. So he went into the book of uh, Psalms. You know, they said the, that water rolled off over me and stuff like that. So he came up with this book, God's Tsunami. And Brother King called me and said, Pastor Murphy, the, this guy who wrote this book, God's Tsunami, is going to be here in Antigua. You ought to come and hear him. Well, I looked at the book and the man can write really good. I mean, he can write really good. So I went to hear my all saints. I sat there saying to myself, this guy wrote this book? An excellent writer. He can express himself in the book. But when it comes to speaking and explaining, he was lost. See? So I'm saying to you, the people who have the, they can write, there are intellectuals, uh, they have large degrees, but they don 't have the capacity to communicate even what they 've written about in the language that people understand. Okay? A teacher has that gift. See? He not, may not be a writer, but he has the capacity to take what he 's teaching so that people begin to understand and comprehend what he 's teaching. And that is where uh, uh, we need to understand that not every person claims to be now this guy claims to be a great teacher. That I was invited to hear. But after hearing him, I told Brother King, uh, I can't even believe this guy wrote this book. Because what he's saying, I mean, he's written excellent stuff in the, in the book. But when he gets up there, I can't even make heads or tails what he's saying. See? But that's what, what attracted me, that he was this great writer and this great teacher. I discovered that they are two different things all together. So it, it, this is where, by the way, you have to get feedback from the church. Really, it's important to get feedback. Pastors need feedback sometimes, as well. By the way, it's, it's, it's okay to tell me once in a while that I preach a good sermon. By the way, I want you to know that. Okay, once in a while, it encourages me. <laughs> you, you preach for a whole year, nobody ever tells you, the pastor, you say something that was really good. Uh, you kind of wonder, am I getting through to people? So it's, it's always good to. Same thing with teaching. You hear one of the persons in, the, in our Sunday school teacher, uh, 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 and you, you just say, "Listen, listen brother." Oh, that was excellent. I really enjoyed that. You don't have to come every day and tell that every Sunday was an excellent thing because, you know, you're just buttering them up. It's not really serious. And by the way, he knows he can't preach, uh, he can't teach 100% good every, every Sunday. So every, every Sunday, it means nothing to him, right? Uh, but it's important to get feedback. Uh, if you're teaching, uh, you're doing something for a long time and you never hear anybody say to you, you know, I really benefit from that, I would suggest to you, take a break. Take a break. Take the school, for example. If everybody is failing in the class, something wrong with the teacher. I repeat. If everybody is failing in the class, something is wrong with the teacher. You can't have a hundred idiots. right? can't have a hundred idiots. So if a teacher is teaching a class and everybody is failing, something is wrong with the way you're teaching. Don't believe that everybody is wrong and you're right. Always look at it that I'm the person at fault. I am, I'm not... Communicating. I need to find out what I'm not doing right, but I can't go away with all oh, those idiots, idiots, idiots. Why don't they don't give me some intelligent people? See, that must never be your attitude. If they're not learning, you are not teaching. See, that should be the attitude, because the key to this whole thing, as I mentioned to you, is this whole matter uh, of understanding. And by the way, I would hazard a guess that every single person here who's been through the school system knows of at least one teacher that taught you in school, and not to know, you can make A or Z what they said. But yet they had degrees. Yet they had qualifications. But you never benefited from it. Uh, When Paul said you've got a teaching gift, if you've got that gift, you must be able to explain, extrapolate facts, assimilate those facts, present those facts in logical order in such a way that people are able to grasp them. That's how you know you've got the teaching gift. Not just talking, thinking that people are understanding. Right? It's very important to understand this important matter that Paul is dealing with in this, in this passage. Now that comes to another question. Where do we find biblical examples of people who had this particular unique, uh, special gift? Well, could I say this? From the very inception of the church, in the book of Acts chapter 2, one of the important ministries of the church was the ministry of teaching. You read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' teaching or doctrine. See, they were being taught. The teaching ministry was central to the foundation of the church. So you find it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. From the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, you find that teaching is part of the ministry. God has gifted the apostles the capacity to teach the doctrine to the people. That's how important teaching is. Central to the establishment of the New Testament church. The other thing I would point out to you that it should not surprise us that teaching is such a pivotal mandate because when it comes to the Great Commission, one of the key elements of the First Commission is that you go forth into all the world, preaching to God, teaching them. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've told you. In other words, to carry out the missionary mandate to the world involved this matter of teaching people to disciple people. And you you can disciple by teaching. So not only in the early church, but it's a, a very important pivotal element of the, com- the commission that was given to us. The mandate was given in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. And then, of course, uh, we see that it was part of the Repertoire of gifts that the Apostle Paul himself had. Remember in Corinthians he said, I speak the tongues more than you. Uh, you Remember he said, I I was called to be an apostle. But what is also significant, if you look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 11, uh, notice what he says there in that passage. He said, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a what? A teacher to the Gentiles. Notice he's an apostle. He's a preacher. But he's also given the gift of teaching. So it's a gift that was an essential part of Paul's ministry. When Paul was trying to lead and to convert the Gentiles. In the book of, we find in the book of Acts. And then in Acts chapter 15 verse 35. We find there's a person there called Barnabas who's engaged in the teaching ministry in the church. This is the gift that was so essential, not only at the beginning of the church, but also in the continuation of the ministry. God called men like Paul and Barnabas uh, for this teaching ministry to edify and build up the church uh, and uh, inform the church in respect to biblical truth. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 25, we meet a man called Apollos. He's a darling orator. He's from Alexandria. And the Bible says he was able to mesmerize the people with his speech and his oratory. This is the same man that Paul had problems in Corinth, where people were saying, I'm of Paul, but I'm of Paulus. He was the darling orator. But the thing about him is this. We're told that he had the unique gift of teaching. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 24 and 25, people flocked to hear him because he had this unique gift of teaching, But again, uh, the supreme example of one that uh, had this particular gift is none other than our Lord himself. As a matter of fact, if you were to do any books on Christian education, you'll find that one of the things that is taught again, that the supreme master teacher was Jesus Christ. Because if you go through the the gospels, you'll find that um, 15 times the word taught is used in connection with his ministry. Three times the word teach is used in connection with his ministry. Six times the word teaching is used. In other words, 24 different times in the Gospels, Jesus is presented as a teacher. He was more of a teacher than a preacher. Most of his public discourses and his private discourses were teaching discourses. That was what he did. He taught the people. That's how vital this gift was. And certainly it must be vital for the New Testament church. As well, and I would challenge anyone who studies uh, church history to go to church history and you'll see a long list of great teachers who have been the uh, in the vanguard of keeping the church um, true to its faith and not apostles. people like um, um, Ignatius, people like uh, Ambrose, people like Augustine, people like Calvin and Luther, people like Jonathan Edwards, people like Benjamin Warfield, people like the Hodges brothers who wrote all of these theological treatises, people like uh, today John MacArthur, people like John Piper today, David Jeremiah, Chuck Swindoll. These are the great, not only great preachers, but these are great teachers see, that Lord has raised up. And in every single generation of the Christian church, He's always raised up men who are great teachers because it's the teaching function to open the minds of people to truth. Pastors do that too, but their their job is to motivate people to change, galvanize people to change. But a teaching job is vitally important for the ministry. And may I say this? It is part of the essential repertoire of qualifications for pastor look at first Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 the qualifications for a pastor or bishop or an elder notice what is said in verse 2 of chapter 3 a bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behavior given to hospitality. but what to teach able to teach now you've heard me make some very strong statements uh, for the pulpit in this church and you have probably shook your head pastor don't have any right to say that a man who is a preacher who c- cannot teach does not belong in the ministry as a pastor you make that statement today some people just but, but uh you know but that's what the bible says not, not what i say these are the qualifications that are mandated in scripture so what you've got to do is to let the Bible inform your mind so that when you hear things, you send them through the word. Apt to teach. And then one other verse of Scripture, uh, 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I look there with me, please, and verse number 16. He said, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Remember the word doctrine is teaching. That's what it is. Take heed unto thyself and unto the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this shall both save thyself and them that hear thee. Timothy, devote yourself to look at yourself and make sure your life, watch your life. But in addition to watching your life, the next part you got is to watch your teaching, your doctrine what you're teaching. See this is the responsibility that falls upon every pastor that he has to be careful in respect. Uh, to his teaching. Now, I want to make one caveat, uh, because you might go away from here thinking that the pastor is the only one that has this power uh, that the Bible talks about. The reality is that's not true. Uh, these are gifts that are given to the church. I would say this, uh, if you don't mind, myself, I, I think that Jesus has the gift of teaching. I think you'll have to agree with that. Okay? Okay. Um, I think that is his, his area. I think he would agree with me that that's his area of, of, of teaching, right? Um, I am inclined to see Neville in that way as well because I sat and listened to Neville uh, teaching a uh, certain things. I said, yeah, he, clearly, uh, no question about that. So there's some things that you can identify. There's nothing wrong in saying that. Now, I've listened to other people, not in this church, but other churches I've been to, and it's very clear to me, Dan got that gift. They ain't got that gift. See? Now, what's right for me to say that somebody's got the gift and I, well, you don't have a penis to say they don't have the, the gift as well? It's a judgment call you have to make, right? I hope that you understand uh, from this particular passage that there is a teaching gift and you should be asking yourself the question. By the way, this is why we have people who should teach Sunday school. One thing that's bothered me, I must say this. Uh, I must say this in, in, in church, and I hope you uh, don't get offended by it. But I find it difficult to believe that people are, say they're called to teach in school but don't want to teach Sunday school. Does that make no sense to me? Does that make sense to you? Does it make any sense to me at all? all right. Seriously, does that make sense to you? I am called to be a teacher, but I don't want to teach in, school, in church. I don't want to teach Sunday school in church. Does that make no sense to me at all, period? I'll be very honest with you. Right? I would think that if I'm called to teach, I, that's the area I would want to concentrate in my, my teaching. Because that's my gift. I'm the best person able to deal with the kids in the church. See? Uh, for what that is worth, that's something worth thinking about as an individual. Uh, now, I know that you can get so tired teaching in public schools with all these hard-headed kids these days who don't even want to learn. Who by the time they come to school at 12, they've got all the crack in their head, they don't have an attention span any longer. <laughs> you know. And by the way, I just was talking to uh, Dr. Simon at this place, and he's aware of this serious, it's a serious problem in Antigua with the children in primary school, nine to twelve. Serious problem. You know. I thought the problem would be like fourteen and fifteen, and so it starts very, very, very early. Right? And that's why teachers are saying, but these children can't pay, they don't have an attention. And by the way, can I say this? For those of you who don't know this. The greatest danger of using marijuana is between age 12 and 18. That's when your, your brain is not formed as yet and the connectivities are forming. So that's why the young people look at the older people who have been smoking track, uh, for years, but nothing happened to them. Nothing Because they didn't start like you at 12 and 14. But if you start 12 to 14 to 18, your brain is cooked. If you're using marijuana between 12 and 18, I'm telling you, your brain is being damaged. And the other thing I, I, I point out at the, the meeting, do you know that the marijuana that's being used today is four times higher in THC than the marijuana that was used in the 60s and the 70s? Four times higher? So to tell young people, you know, they get the impression, well, they used a smoke pot in the 70s and the 60s. Nothing happened because it didn't have the amount of THC in it. You got four times the amount in it. No. I told him, I said, you know, people are more inclined to listen to you as a medical doctor in marijuana than me as a pastor because you are the doctor. I'm not a doctor in, in the area of medicine. So your voice is much stronger than mine when it comes to dealing with marijuana. Get on the radio and warn them. Stay away from it between 12 and 18 at least. If you, after that, but 12 and 18 is the most dangerous period. Your brain will never be the same. Now, which of you have moved, moved marijuana here? Don't put up your hands and embarrass yourself. right? And you're saying, Pastor, I wish I knew that. And I'm sure a lot of young people who wish they, they knew it before. You didn't know it then. See? So if you, you're going to have mental problems. Mental problems if you've been using it between 12 and 18. Because your brain has not been formed. It's not mature enough. And the connectivity between your brain, the, the, the neurons and the, I uh, forgot what, whatever terms that they use, the connectivity, the, the axions and so on and so forth, uh, they're not connected properly. They're still maturing. And marijuana, and by the way, do you know that your body produces THC naturally? So what's in the marijuana drug becomes concentrated in the mind and it overwhelms the system. And the neural receptors can't handle all of this THC. So that's why you have problems in the future. Um, I'm just saying to you, that's the job of a teacher. And I told the doctor, I said, man, if I, if I, had, your, if I had your forum, if I had your voice, and you say you've got a radio program, you're the Seventh-day Adventist, right? If I had, and you got the Seventh-day radio, I said, man, I, I, would be, I, would be, I would be harping on this thing until it gets through to the young people. I'd go to every school, warn every all of those kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you're given the impression it's an innocent drug. You can have four plants in your home. You, know? you tell the young people that, and they're not explaining to them the danger between this period of time. You're destroying a whole generation. I could spend the next hour sharing with you stories I know. Within my family, my sister, DeLon, all of them, I can share stories of how damaging the use of this drug is for you. But that's not the purpose this morning. So the, the, the gift of teaching It's a gift that appeals to the mind. It has to do with the understanding, uh, being able to help you to grasp truth, systematizing truth, assimilating truth, presenting that truth in an orderly manner, in a logical way, so that your mind can grasp it. That's what the gift of teaching is. It basically appeals to the mind. But Let's move on to the last one quickly. Uh, go back to Romans chapter 12. And Paul mentions here uh, a fourth gift in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 8. <clears throat> he says, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Uh, the word here is parakaleo, and the other word is paraklesis. paracles, you see, the same word. The words are from two Greek words. The word para means to come to the side of. And kaleo means to call. One called by the side of. That's what the word exhortation means. Literally, it means someone who comes by your side to counsel you or to help you or to encourage you. We will call that person, or someone who mentors. Somebody who is an, an encourager. Someone who is a motivator. See, uh, That's what he's talking about here when he's talking about the word exhortation. As a matter of fact, the word that is used here, parakaleo and paraklesis, is similar to the word that is used in the book of uh, John chapter 14, parakletos, the comforter. Jesus applied this word to himself. I will send you another comforter like myself. See? That's similar to this word, one that comforts or encourages one who helps, that's what is used here. Again, this uh, verb is an illocative case. I, I keep repeating that again and again, and I, I think, I, I don't know, I said, Paul, but you're repeating yourself. Well, he has to repeat himself because it takes people a long time to comprehend. Stay within the area of your giftedness. That's what he's saying here. You've got the gift of exhortation. Stay within the area of your exhor- people, God needs exhorters. God needs uh, people who are prophets. Prophet. God needs people who are teachers. Don't try to be a prophet if you're not a prophet. Don't try to be a teacher. If, you know, your job is ex- ex- exhortation. You have a way of encouraging people. You have a way of mentoring. That's your gift. Your gift is not teaching. But, so concentrate on that area of gift. Let the teacher do his job. You do your job. That's why it's an locative case again. It is Fear. Of ministry that Paul is talking about. Don't try to intrude. Well I got the gift of exhortation. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uses an illustration that. uh, Very profound. He said that there. Was a young man. He gave his name. Who was wonderfully converted. And it was clear to everybody. That this man had the gift of exhortation. He can motivate people to do things, to motivate people in their lives. So somebody told him, well, you've got this gift of motivation, so you ought to be a preacher. So you know what he did? He ceased functioning as an exhorter, and he decided to go and train in the ministry. So he spent four years in college. When he came, it was as dry as ever. It was not effective. He was trying to be a preacher, but that was not his gift. His gift was exhortation, and the seminary killed that part of him. That's why Paul says, you know, understand your gift, man. Because you happen to be able to motivate people and get people to do things, that doesn't mean that you're called to be a preacher. That's not your gift. Concentrate on doing your job of motivating and mentoring people. That's your gift. See? That's why Paul keeps saying in every case, in the locative case, uh, this is the sphere of your operation. Stay within the area of your giftedness. Know that God has gifted you. And by the way, we'll talk later that you can develop the gift that you have. You have a raw gift. But that gift needs to be developed. Here's a problem. God has given me one gift. Rather than I concentrate on making that gift the best gift I could ever be, guess what? I am doing this gift and that gift, and that gift, and that gift, and that gift, and that gift. And guess what? I never become an expert at anything. I never become excellent in anything. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to be things that I'm not supposed to be. That is the life of so many people. So many people. See. And uh, the Apostle Paul, again, is calling us back to understand what is God, how is God Gifted you, operate within that area, and become excellent in that area. That's what Paul is saying in this particular passage. Now, does that make sense? Let's suppose God has given me the gift to be a Mason. I want to be the best Mason in Antigua. I should try to be the best Mason in Antigua. Suppose God has given me the gift of building on an ark. I want to be the best architect in Antigua. I don't want to be a third rate or second rate. I want to be the best. God will give me the gift of, let me use some of the people, IT. I want to be the best IT person in Antigua. I strive. So I, I, I do courses. I do things. I want to be the best. I want to pursue excellence in the area God has gifted me. Sadly, that's not the way that people look at it. So therefore, they never become anything in life. They're always doing this and doing that, but they never become experts at anything. They never achieve excellence. I told them in the meeting we had at the uh, gospel hall, I said, I wish I was 18 right now. And the Lord knows I wish I was 18. He really does. I, you know, you young people have got so, do you realize there's hardly anything that you want to know you can't, that you can find out on the internet? Do you know that universities offer you free courses? Do you know the diplomas being offered online that you don't have to pay for? But if you want the, the diploma afterwards, you've got to pay for the diploma. But you can do all the courses, pass the courses, and not pay for it if you've got the information. And if you ever need the diploma in the future, you can pay for it and get it. So many things. And then why people waste their time. I see them playing with these idiot boxes all the time and blah, 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 and on the cell phone all the time. And, uh, and I'm saying, to my, well, you're wasting so much of your life. There's so much to know. I'm rebuking you this morning if that's you. Life is too short to be wasted in just pleasure and entertainment. It's there's a, there's a room for entertainment, but you have to limit it. Right? You should not take over all of your life. Well, I work eight hours a day, pastor. When I come home, don't tell me. No, 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 no. All I want to be is on the idiot box. Yeah. That's all I'm concerned about. I pity you. I really do. And I hope that you come to a more serious aspect of your life in regard uh, to the future. So that brings me to the, uh, how is exhortation different than teaching? Well, let me put it this way. Teaching applies to the mind. Exhortation applies to the heart and the will. See? It's not about informing the mind. It's moving the will. See, Moving the heart to action. That's the difference between teaching and, and it's a wonderful thing when you can combine teaching with exhortation. And if a person does have the gift of teaching and the gift of exhortation, that's a wonderful combination. But it's not always the scale. Let me use an example. You see evangelists? Evangelists who are really gifted in the gift of evangelism have that gift of exhortation. They will come into this church. And they will preach this church. And they're able to motivate people to come to the altar. There's something about, they have that, that, that exhortation gift. Not many pastors have got that gift, I must confess. We've got the teaching gift and the preaching gift, but it doesn't necessarily got the ex- 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 exhortation gift. But here's the thing. The exhorter is dependent on the teacher. The teacher has been doing the groundwork in the people's mind, in the people's thoughts. He comes in now, he's able to take that knowledge that was being taught so long, and he's able to, to take that now and motivate the people to act on it. He's really an exhorter. He's able to make people do, make decisions and, and come forward and, and do things. He's got that gift. See? Does that make sense? I've seen that many, many times, by the way. I've, I've, actually, I've actually sat in this church and other churches and see evangelists come in and preach. And I see them be able to draw people down to the earth. And I said to them, I don't have that gift. I say that with them, I don't have, just don't have that gift. Uh, and so on and so forth. But again, I'm not jealous of the evangelists. I'm glad that God has called him to the church, to minister to the church, to uh, build on what has been taught, to bring people to more dedication. So I don't, I'm not jealous saying, you know, I, I don't envy them. I admire them, but I recognize that, you know what, you haven't been given that, that level of that gift to that person. You just got to respect that. See? That's why I said it's not competing. We're complementing each other in ministry. So do you feel jealous, uh, by the way, I learned a long time ago that a lot of senior pastors don't, don't like the young men to preach. I learned that a long time ago. Especially if a young man went to Bible school and they didn't go to Bible school, <laughs> real trouble. So they stifle the, the young person because they're afraid that if the young person gets them and preach better than they preach, the church might call the young person and kick them out. So what they do, they've got a lot of people who go to Bible school, come back and sit in churches and do absolutely nothing for years. I can tell you about that in St. Lucia. I could even tell you that here in Antigua. See, never given an opportunity. Uh, a pastor should be willing to understand that he's never here forever. He must always understand that he must have a Timothy on his wings that eventually the church can call. Now let me just say this about this church. I will never tell you call anybody and give you a name. I will tell you that uh, pray about it. You make your decision. So, But again, I feel very comfortable, for example, that Brother Robert is here. If something would ever happen to me, the church is not without somebody. See? But again, I will never tell you that this is the person for you. I, I don't know that. You have to know for yourself. See? But my job is to have somebody mentored so that if the church wants to call, the church will call. See? Right? That's how I think. Right? Um, and by the way, I think you all know this, that uh, when Robert left here, uh, I was already thinking, how are we going to have Robert full time? How is that going to happen? I didn't want Robert to come back here and do what most people do: end up selling insurance. You know, you give him four years training for the ministry, then you come back and there's no nothing in the church for you to do. So, what they end up selling insurance, end up going back. I had made up my mind that would never happen. I'm going to tell you how what I did. But a lot of people, I got a lot of flack for it. But I think in the long term, people understand. Now we understand what the pastor was trying to do. See? I think that's what happens. You've got to be willing to take licks. The skin got to be thick to take opposition. Once you have an idea, you know what the Lord is leading. You stick with that. So, it differs uh, from the matter of um, appealing to the will and to the heart. And um, you might say that teaching is giving knowledge of the truth. Exhortation is moving the heart and the will to obey the truth and to practice the truth. And so how is this supposed to be used? When you have the gift of exhortation, your job is to encourage, is to rouse people, is to stimulate people, is to plead with people, is to move them to action and decision making. You get them to act on the truth. That's the gift of exhortation. So, this person is what I call a people person a person who is able to motivate, a person who's an encourager, a person who's a mentor. Uh, is this kind of a person. And there's one thing that Dr. W.E. Vine said about this word exhortation that I've taken a note of, and I want to quote what he said. Listen to what he said. He said, this word means to admonish, it means to exhort, it means to urge on, it means to pursue some, urge somebody to pursue some course of conduct. And then he adds his words, it always is prospective looking at the future. I thought that was very, very profound. That this particular word of exhortation often relates to the matter of the future. So when you're encouraging that person, you're encouraging them in some aspect about their future. See, Advice about their future. Advice about decision making. That's the key uh, behind this particular word. Finally, where do we find examples of this in the scriptures? Well, uh, in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, we find that Paul and Barnabas... On the missionary journey, after they made the first missionary journey, we we're told that they decided, "No, we need to go back to these churches that we founded." And, and the, the Bible says, "And they were exhorting the brethren." They'd already come to faith in Christ. They didn't want need that teaching any longer. What they needed was to be encouraged and motivated to act on what they learned. So they went back their steps. They were acting as preachers and teachers when they first on missionary. On the second journey, they're now motivators mentoring uh, is what is going on there. And that's why the Bible said they were exhorting the brethren in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Again, I would point out to you, it is part of the pastoral function. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says that they "Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. The pastor has to exhort. He needs to motivate and encourage people, incentivize people as well. Uh, and then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 and 25, it is to be um, operative within the general membership of the church. Look there at that one verse before you come to a close. Hebrews chapter 12, chapter 10. I'm coming to a close now. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24 and 25. He said in verse 24, and let us consider one another to what? Provoke one another That word provoke doesn't mean get people angry, but it means to motivate you to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the man of some is, but exhorting one another. That's a function within the church, the body of the church. The pastor is not the only one that had the job of exhorting or encouraging or motivating or galvanizing. It is something that believers within the church should do among themselves, encouraging each other, motivating each other. You notice know that he's asked me to do it. I know he said the church members should do it. So clearly the pastor's job is there, but there are members within the church who have this unique gift who must also function in that respect to help in the motivational process. So teaching is a systemization of truth. Exhortation is the motivation and the application of truth that has been learned. And so Paul uh, comes to these two other gifts and he said, you know what? These also need to be within the church. So we've looked at prophecy. Whether you have that particular gift. We've looked at being a servant or ministering. We've looked at teaching. And now we've looked at exhortation. Uh, These are four of Paul's gifts that Paul mentions here this morning. I wonder if you uh, would take the time to reflect on this matter to decide What is your gift? Can you identify with any of these gifts? Can you say, Pastor, I am very, very sure that my gift is teaching. My gift is exhortation. I don't need to know, by the way. All I'm saying, you identify and use it in the church. That's where it's supposed to be used, in the church. Gifts are given to be used in the church. I used an illustration last time. I'll close with this. What if I, as a parent, was everywhere teaching in every house, in every neighborhood, but I never did any teaching in my home or with my family? What do you think about that? So if God has given you a gift and you're using that gift every other place but except in the church, don't you not see there's a disparity between these two things? That's why Paul, before he ever dealt with his gifts, first of all, let us understand what the church is all about. That's why he did it. It's not a mistake or an accident. We must always view gifts in respect to the ministry in the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for those who've sat and listened. Trust that some of what we've said here this morning has been beneficial, has been encouraging, has been rebuking, uh, has given uh, us a better balance and perspective on this whole matter of gifts. This is a laborious task of trying to uh, grapple with these issues. These are not issues that we normally would deal with in the ministry. And that's perhaps why the church has suffered uh, and is suffering all over the globe. We've forgotten that the ministry is not just about the pastor and the deacons we've forgotten the role of the layman within the ministry that every believer has a God-given gift that can be used and should be used in the church Lord I pray you open our eyes to this reality and I pray Lord that you would move us and motivate us as Christians uh, before we start complaining and and um, Murmuring. May we all ask ourselves one question: What is my gift, and am I using my gift within the local assembly? Bless your people. Use your word. May the Holy Spirit find enough equipment and ammunition and resources in the preaching of the word to work on the minds and the hearts and the will those who are here this morning. Help us to be what you want us to be and help us to use our gifts that you intended those gifts to be used. Help us, O oh Lord. We need you. We look to you. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the spiritual gift of giving. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street, in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.